Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and I'm joined as always by my best friend Andre Grayson. Hello Mr Dow. So it has been uh, obviously only about about a week or two since we last did the podcast. So we were true to our word that we would be back with a vengeance and uh, here we are again. Well, ramping up... Um... And if you look at the trajectory of Arsenal and our podcast trajectory, which we alluded to in the last one, you can see why we might be more desperate to talk about things. Yes, we're, we're, that is true. That is very, very true. Um, how are you, Andre? I'm guessing quite good after the weekend. Well, I, I, what I, what I obviously, I, I was happy and I wanted to celebrate, but obviously I'm not allowed. Um, so I won't tell you just how happy I am or how brilliant that was or how brilliant it was to see us celebrating and, you know, creating iconic moments on that pitch, both on it and then subsequently off the game, because of course that would mean we are not ready to win the title. Um, and it would make us look immature. So I'm just going to say I'm absolutely fine. Six out of ten, steady. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think I'll probably push to about a seven. Can you can you calm down, please? <laughs> <laughs> I need I need to control myself because as uh, Mr. Carragher and Neville have alluded to, we are not allowed to enjoy anything in this day and age, which I'm sure we'll come on to in the. Uh, in the, the, the coming minutes, we last recorded after the 5-0 win against Crystal Palace. And we said, obviously, it was a, it was a good win, very routine, but the atmosphere felt flat. Um, now, obviously, since then, we've gone to Nottingham Forest away uh, and 1-2-1. And we've also beaten Liverpool 3-1 at the Emirates. So there were two games that we both said in the last podcast that we felt we, we needed to win. And we both felt that we would win. And we've done that. So obviously there's no better place to start than, I suppose, a Liverpool game and then work back towards Nottingham Forest if we uh, feel necessary. But yeah, what are your thoughts on the on the game against Liverpool the weekend? All jokes aside, I have to just run through the experience I had of um, the celebration thing at some point. I think we, we, we met up before the game, watched Man U uh, beat West Ham quite comfortably and we were chatting and, and I was so sure we'd win. And I asked you your prediction. I, th- I think I'd said 2-0 and you said 3-1. So well done for that. I thought I'd give you the shout out. You probably won't shout yourself out. But oh. <laughs> I was so sure. I just was so sure we'd win. I, before the Forest game, I called that we'd win these two games. I think Liverpool are a fantastic side, no question. And I think the absences they had were literally perfect for us. But before the game, I have to say, where I was getting quite frustrated and agitated is they were saying this Liverpool hoodoo. Did you hear a lot of that stuff that Arsenal don't really beat Liverpool? Uh, I didn't, actually. As you know, I've been doing quite a lot of writing recently on um, on our website. And I did a preview piece about the Liverpool game. And obviously, we take take apart the the FA Cup game. It's now four games in the league since we since we last lost to them. So like it's, and obviously we've won both our home games in that period of time and drawn away twice. So yeah, it's not. I, I think there is a historic hoodoo, but in recent times we've really shown that that's not really the case. Exactly. I mean, if anything. The cup game aside, you've got to ignore the cup game. The cup game was also a, a bit of a freak game in that if you look at what happened on Sunday and compare it to the cup game, the only difference is we actually scored and got ahead. And 
if we'd have scored and got ahead in the cup game, we'd have beaten them comfortably as well. Whatever you say about the ridiculousness of the goals, right? We won that game against the team that is top of the league comfortably. And I won't have it put in any other way. We've nullified them. We nullified them at Anfield minus one ridiculous counter-attack. We nullified them in the cup. Look, they, they got a set piece, an own goal. And then they scored on the counter. Fine. We are so much better than Liverpool. I was listening to a podcast earlier. They said, oh, I think we've caught Liverpool up. We've overtaken Liverpool. We should beat Liverpool at home. We are better than Liverpool. So the fact we went and delivered on it after my arrogance pre-game saying that made me absolutely delighted. And look, there is no question. I think the game would be different if they had Salah, Sobberslai, <laughs> and probably a fit Robertson and Trent. But we have played them under... I mean, Jesus is never fit for this. Party is never fit for this. Tommy Asu's out. You know, we could go on and on and on. We all have absences for big games that we have to deal with. So I felt it was overdue that we beat them by a couple of goals. I think it's really clear to me why Klopp's leaving. And look, if it's something more sinister and I end up feeling like I can't believe I put this out there, I think he looks at it and goes, Salah's 30 two van dyke's 32 and the rest of the team just doesn't have that star 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 quality and we do we do have that star quality we might not have a superstar like salah yet we won a game we should win that's that's honestly how i saw sunday and it felt absolutely fucking brilliant i completely agree that was that was quite spectacular um diatribe of the weekend's events and what i what i should also highlight to listeners is we're using a new podcast platform and we have put uh transcription on whilst we're talking because there was a little bit of lag between our uh, communications and some of the transcription of what we're saying is spectacular and it's making me giggle (laughs) At really inappropriate moments. Shoppers um, lie. Shoppers lie is is a, is a fantastic one. Uh, Van Dyke was just bleeped out because of his, <laughs> the second part of his name. <laughs> it's, it's it's tremendous fun. I, I mean, we could we could make a podcast just by listing footballers' names and see what they say. <laughs> Maybe it's a segment towards the end of this one. Yeah, I think we found our new feature. <laughs> But no, going back to the game. Obviously, going into the game, it was it was a big blow. Uh, Gabriel Jesus not not being available, which again it sort of highlights what you're saying about the fact that Liverpool had injuries. We, we've we've got people out as well, so I think it's worth remembering that. And obviously, the decision that Mikel Arteta had to make in that situation was whether to stick with a conventional striker in the sense of uh, Eddie Nketiah or go with someone slightly more unorthodox, um, as in Leander Trossard or. Kai Havertz and obviously he went for Kai Havertz which I think most of us felt he would and then the other decision was whether to stick with Smith-Rowe who um, I thought played well enough against Nottingham Forest on the Tuesday and then he obviously decided to put Jorginho in there which I'm sure will come onto his performance very very shortly and I think he got the decisions absolutely spot on and what I did want to sort of touch on is that we are a squad that 
have been criticised, particularly last season, as being a side that is reliant on their starting eleven, and I, th- and I still think that is true to an extent. But we're starting to build a squad that is more capable of providing that depth required for a really concerted charge towards the big prizes. And obviously, we had another blow at half time when Zinchenko came up with a calf injury. And I remember you texted me at half time and, and said you were you were worried about Kivior coming on. And I was as well, but he came on and he was he was outstanding. He, he really, really was very good. He kept them quiet down that side. He offered um, an, a threat going forward as he nearly got on the score sheet. And I think I just wanted to sort of touch on some of those fringe players like Kivior, like Jorginho. And although Kai Havertz isn't a fringe player, he was very much playing in a position that I think we, we didn't sign him for that purpose. So I think we're starting to see this squad depth come together where we've got a few extra players available in different positions to offer us a different dimension. I really thought Kai Havertz was, was, was quietly good. And he was in that, in that position where I think we saw both the good and bad of Kai Havertz in the sense that his movement was excellent. He was a pain in the ass to Van Dijk and Konate, but we saw his restrictions in terms of his finishing, particularly for our first goal when he was one on one with the keeper and he produced what, what can only be regarded as a fairly poor effort. <laughs> um, and then Saka follows up. But I think what he contributed overall far outweighed those limitations that he's got. Well, I, I genuinely think Kai Havertz should play up front against Liverpool when you face two centre-backs like that, he ran them, he pinned them, he got one of them sent off. I think he disorientated them as well. This kind of feeds into the over-celebrating thing, which which I touch on. I, I, I kind of need to talk about it because if have you watched the analysis of Carragher on MNF of how we structured ourselves in defence? I haven't, no. So you're going to enlighten me here. <laughs> Well, we actually, it, it, it's its unbelievable, to be fair. Uh, we kind of played a, uh, if, if you take average positions, Havertz and Odegaard were actually deeper than Saka and Martinelli. And they kind of, we kind of played in a box in midfield. So yeah. you've got Jorginho, who was to the left, which was a surprise. And, and of course, just to touch on it, what, what a brilliant performance he's been, you know, performance he produced. Here's a man for the big games. We'll circle back to it. Rice on the right, who's just monsters up the ground. And that's why him and Jorginho are such a good partnership. But if you look at Havertz, he executed the game plan to absolute perfection. But the reason I brought it up in that moment is because Carragher, his analysis was unbelievable. This feeds into the only point I really want to make on the over-celebrating, because I thought your article on the Guna was, was brilliant and summed it up perfectly. And go and look there. But when you calm down after a football game, and you start thinking about it, you can think far more rationally. Yeah. Now, in the moment, at full time, after beating the team that's top of the league, you just don't know how you're going to react. So I've got to just talk you through my experience. As you know, I had my final antenatal class at 7.30, an hour away, okay? So the full time whistle went, and I wanted to sing North London forever, but I shot out of there like a gun, right? Okay, and just, just for anyone wondering... I made it 15 minutes early, okay? It was an incredible performance in getting home. <laughs> Outrageous <laughs> pace. <laughs> really was. It really was. It was Martinelli v. Canate in the first half. <laughs> but 
I saw all this stuff coming through about Carragher over-celebrating, over-celebrating, and I genuinely thought, because I was shut off for two hours, what on earth have we done? And then when you see it's Martin Odegaard taking a picture of the photographer, I thought, is that it? Is that really what people are so wound up about? And it kind of got me thinking, well, Carragher sums it up. In the moment, he was wound up by that. The next day, he was able to talk about the tactical masterclass we produced. Yeah. Just live in the moment, guys. I don't mind Carragher's reaction, by the way, because he's salty. Everyone's going, oh, they're immature. They were like this last year. And to be fair, if we were doing laps of the pitch, I'd actually agree. I did not think it was going to be something as light touch as Odegaard rallying the fans, taking a photo of the photographer, which is a memory he will have, uh, Stuart, for his whole life, right? He'll have it for his whole life. What a bizarre thing to say we're over-celebrating and look naive on. And the irony, this is the thing that kills me. Klopp, I like Klopp. I'm glad he's going. And on some case days, I really hate Jurgen Klopp is the most over-celebrate-y on the pitch, punch in the air, manager going. Arteta runs down the touchline, high-fives a few fans. <laughs> I'm like, this is madness. This is madness. He's running down the touchline. We've just scored in, in, in such an exciting way. The way Trossard ran down that line and the, 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 the fans are standing up. He's closing in on goal. He somehow squeezes it through Alisson's legs. Alisson doing his best Matt Turner impression. And it, it goes in. It, it was un, it was rocking it. It was the youth. It was amazing. Like, this is what you live for. And that was over celebrating. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. The reason why I didn't see the analysis last night is because I was, I was playing football and a couple of the lads I play with are Liverpool fans. And one of them was going, Oh yeah, Arteta was a bit out of order mimicking uh, Klopp at the end with his like fist bumps towards the, the fans. Who's like, one, is, is that trademarked by Jurgen Klopp? Yes. I'm surprised you didn't know that. <laughs> and two, even if he is mocking him, who cares? It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any difference to anyone's lives, except for he's doing it to the Arsenal. If he went up to the Liverpool fans in the away end and started doing that, then I'd go, fair enough, Mikel, you've probably overstepped the mark. But he literally just did it to the clock end. I don't know what the problem was. <laughs> It's it it, it 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 makes no sense. Genuinely, that's the only thing we can take from it. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, obviously you touched on um, Leander Trossard, obviously getting the, uh, the the third and vital goal, and I think that again just feeds into that conversation about those fringe players really starting to contribute. And Trossard has been has got some valuable goals this season, and he's effective coming off the bench. I don't think he's ever going to be. He's never really going to be the player to dislodge Martinelli for considerable periods of time because I think the standing that Martinelli has with with Arteta is is of, of such that he might come out for a game or two, but generally Martinelli will be his first choice left winger. But again, that's what you want from a player coming off the bench. You want them to come on and show a bit of fight and to make a contribution. And that's obviously what he did. It's what Kivior did. Um, Jorginho has been on the peripherals of the side for a lot of the season, comes in and puts in a absolute masterclass of a performance. I posted on our, on our Twitter page a, a meme that I created which no one obviously recognised or, or looked at, but it made me laugh, so I posted it, <laughs> of Alan Partridge saying, can I just shock you? I like Jorginho. 
<laughs> and I laughed to myself on the train home from uh, from the Emirates on Sunday for about twenty minutes, and I, and I I'm completely unashamed by that. <laughs> well, can I shock you? <laughs> I, I really like Jorginho. He's <laughs> it's, it's just such a, it, like he just. I know, obviously, he had earlier in the season when he came off the bench and, and made that mistake against Tottenham, which which by the way was met with cheers of his name. It, like it wasn't, it wasn't like everyone got in his case all of a sudden. Everyone cheered and sung Jorginho's name when that happened. And ever since then, and ever since we signed him, he just he doesn't let you down. He comes in, he does a job, and he's happy with his. I, I'm sure he would like to play more, but I think he knows his role within this side, and it is to be that mature figure who comes into the side when he's needed. And produces performances like that. And he, what he was doing was infectious. Everyone around him, it felt like was, they, their levels were raised because of what he was doing. And I just, I, I, I just can't, can't help but wax lyrical about Jorginho at the moment. I, I, I love him. <laughs> I, I, I'm completely with you there. To be fair, I think what he brings, and actually, I reflected quite a lot on last season about should he have played more towards the end. He probably should. Yeah. That that kind of we're so young we forget how young we are you know I, I think you see it in Liverpool's first goal Saliba Van Dyke I was about to say Van Dyke doesn't make that mistake well he he, he made worse one but he's <laughs> <laughs> he's clearing that ball with his left foot yeah. do you know what I mean you know there's no two ways about it we are young and Jorginho in there next to Rice with Odegaard in front of them that's a serious midfield I mean we'd all like it to be party. We really yeah. would all like it to be party. However, I think Jorginho, for this team right now, and Trossard has a little bit of this as well, we do need those experience in those big games. I thought Trossard as well, his cameo against Nottingham Forest was excellent. He seemed like the only one who wasn't absolutely terrified by the fact we might win a game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I, think, I think you're right to make the points you made earlier about the squad. But yeah, I think Jorginho... Look, do I want him starting against West Ham on Sunday? No, I, you know, I don't think that I do. Uh, but however, on Porto away and Newcastle at home, I think I do want him starting because they're the big games, right? They're yeah. the ones that you need him in there. And if I was choosing one of those two, I'd, I'd have him in against Porto. I think he might be our uh, Champions League maestro in this, especially as he's been there and done it. You know, not anyone else on that pitch, other, other than ironically Kai Havertz, uh, has gone and done it. So, yeah, all in all, I think um, I think what a brilliant couple of games. And, and I'm sure you felt this like I did. The Emirates was fizzing pre-match. Absolutely fizzing. And then we played football that that when we came onto the last podcast, we lamented how we played. And against Forest, particularly first half, that was maybe the most bored I've ever been watching Arsenal. It was just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's going round again. It's yeah, it's gone round again <laughs> and again and again. And then second half, you know, really good. But to go and beat Liverpool like that, do you know what? I'll take ten I'll take how many games we got left? Ten, eleven? I'll take eleven more first halves like Forest and get the results. Just control it. Keep, keep keep teams calm. Take the sting out of everywhere we go and back ourselves to win games in the second half. I'm all for it. it we'll win a hell of a lot more games than we won't doing that. Yeah, agreed. Um, and I think just the last thing to touch on with, with regard to the atmosphere, 
obviously we've we we questioned the atmosphere on the last podcast and and commented on how that it's not really hit the heights of points of last season equally we also commented that there have been moments this season we talk about man united at home we talk about man city at home now liverpool at home there have been moments that have really elevated it to to another level and what I really liked about it, and obviously like where I sit at the Emirates is, is pretty much right above the away fans. Every time Liverpool fans started singing their club's name, we booed them. <laughs> and, and it felt like as much as we were nullifying their effectiveness on the pitch, we were nullifying their fans as well. <laughs> and it was, it was really, really, it made me laugh every time, but it did work because every time they did that, we booed them and then started singing our own songs. And, it was it was raucous. It was really really fantastic, and it, and, it, and like we say, it was up, it's up there with with some of the best atmospheres we've had in the last couple of years. And hopefully we can sort of replicate that. And, and and we're realistic enough to know that when we're playing Luton at home, the atmosphere is not going to be like it was on Sunday against Liverpool. But if we can get that atmosphere getting a bit more consistent as the running goes in, then there's no reason why we can't play our part as supporters in terms of getting that that message to across to the players and giving them something else to, to to believe in. Moving on from that, obviously last night Manchester City beat Brentford 3-1. And I know that we, we've got a group chat with our friend of the podcast, Chris Johns. I don't know if he listens, probably not, but he's a friend of ours, so it's fine. <laughs> Uh, you and him were having an extensive conversation about how ominous it looks with Man City. And I know you've said for a long time, Man City will, will, will go on and win the title. And I think it's, it's difficult to look beyond that at this moment. But I think what's important at this time is that we have put ourselves in the mix. Like that win against Liverpool has put us back in the title hunt. And we might come up short. Man City are certainly the team to beat. But... We've we've given ourselves a chance. I think we need to. I, I think we do need to just touch on Manchester City and how annoyingly good they look. I can't remember. I texted you this, but I was thinking about Man City. Pep's watching um, Arsenal Liverpool. Oh, Arsenal! Yeah, look pretty good. End of half time. We've literally scored a goal for Liverpool, and he's going, "Okay, yeah, I can see how I might exploit that." And he's going, "Okay, let's see what Liverpool have got." Well, they start well. The second half, pretty. Pretty good. And then Van Dyke and Allison, two of their best players, run into each other and give us a goal. And he's going, aha. So so you're saying I've just got to beat these two teams. <laughs> I, I think I might be all right. I, mean, I know it was one of those games that just won two most bizarre errors. But honestly, City don't really make mistakes like that. No. Either of those goals. And uh, you can put it down to other contributing factors. I don't know. But ultimately... The way I see it is City are too strong. They look too strong. They look too accomplished. I know they've conceded from a long ball yesterday, but no one really thought they wouldn't turn it round. De Bruyne has come back and he looks incredible. The fact Haaland's missed a chunk and it's happened in this January window where they don't really play, plus they're the Club World Cup, etc., etc. It's just, it just all the ingredients are there for them to actually win this title quite easily. I think for us, it's about dare I say, celebrating the great moments as we have them. Um, not that, of course, we're allowed to, but I think, you know, over the last couple of seasons, the evolution of this team, you never know. I think City are in a much stronger and better position than they were against us last season. 
The only thing I've got in my head is those two have to play each other and we've got to go to the Etihad. And we've shown we can go and compete in big games. And if, if Liverpool can do us a favour at Anfield and we avoid defeat at the Etihad, we might just have enough to find points elsewhere. I don't think we're going to keep the consistency to keep up with them because they're going to win. Honestly, I looked at their fi- They're not dropping points anytime soon. And I was having a little look. So they've just they've literally just announced our fixtures moving. I'm obviously highly stressed about, um, uh, you know, the fixtures in March. Um, I think I'll be able to get to Chelsea at home. Uh, 16th of March, due date is the 11th, five days. Kelly doesn't listen to this podcast. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 12.30 kickoff. Easy, happy days. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure lots of friends or anyone listening to this podcast, should I have a baby at that point, you are welcome to come to my house on Saturday, the 16th of March, between 11 and 3. Just help out, that'd be great. Um, but I was looking at this run of games we've got leading into City. We've got, uh, you know, Sheffield United away, Brentford at home, Chelsea at home, and then City away after an international break. They've got, in fairness, they've got United at home. So that's an easy win for them. They've got yeah. Liverpool away. And then they've got Brighton at home. After that period, going into the Etihad, we'll know everything we need to know. Yeah. That's my, that's how I see it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think just, just to sort of look ahead as well, obviously we go to West Ham on Sunday and that's a game I am, I am worried about because I don't know if it's a, uh, like a bit of a mental scar from last season when we were two up and we, we drew two all and that was essentially I know everyone said it started at Liverpool, but you draw two all at Liverpool, you can kind of accept that. Being two up at West Ham and drawing two two, I think that was the bit that really sort of got into the players' minds, got into the fans' minds that it was it was pretty much done. And I, I'm, I'm worried about that this weekend. But if we can follow up what we've done against Palace, Forest, Liverpool, and beat West Ham away, then all of a sudden we've got a nice little run of games that we've that we've put together. And then we can start thinking about what we can actually do between now and the end of the season. Obviously, the Champions League's coming back in the, in the, in the coming weeks. And that's going to be something else we're going to have to juggle as well. But West Ham is so important that we don't slip up there this year. We have to go there and win. And if we do go there and win and keep the pressure on them, particularly as I think City play Everton, don't they, this weekend? Yes, at home. Uh, so obviously that's, we're not expecting much from Everton in that one. <laughs> 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 to say the very least. <laughs> to say the very least. So in all likelihood, I, I think City go top if they win, don't they, as well? So, yeah, it's just, we've got to beat West Ham. We have to beat them. Mm. I think it suits us to be behind rather than ahead. I, I don't think it will mean anything in the grand scheme because whether City are behind or in front, they're inevitable. So, it's it's look, hopefully we'll hear about the charges. If they adopt any points... Then you never know. You never know, Tom. You never know. You never know. And I think that's probably a, a pretty nice nice point to end things on. Um, you never know. And we are we are in a title race, which is nice for two seasons running that we've been in that situation where we've been in and amongst it this time. So many times over the past 20 years, we've been out of sight way before this point. So it's really nice to be in that situation. And obviously, Champions League returning, that's great to be in that. We've got what should be over two legs, a favourable tie. And then 
if we overcome Porto into the quarterfinals, then you never know. Um, and that is what we're going to end it on. You will never know. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to uh, everyone out there. Um, if you want to see what we're up to on social media, obviously we've got a website, which is theboysinredandwhite.com. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok we are on TikTok. as well. TikTok! So we've made it. We've made it. So if you want to find us on then just search for The Boys in Red and White. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Andre, and thank you to everyone else for listening, and we'll be back next time with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.